Lord, help me, your unworthy servant, to open my mouth with boldness, with clarity, with succinctness, with complete fidelity to the written text of Holy Scripture, which is your infallible word, and Lord, with practical application guided by the Holy Spirit using the Scriptures. Lord, give us ears to hear, hearts to receive and believe. Comfort and encourage us, we pray. And if anyone is here today who does not know you, may this be the day they would close with Christ. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, we want to focus on the last part of this particular letter first, uh, because there are other pieces we'll pick up. What I want us to focus on is on page 1917. He says in verse 12, Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. So think about a pillar for a moment. There's a difference in a pillar and a pillow. I didn't know that when I was a child. I kept thinking about, put your head on a pillar. Anyhow, so there's a pillar. What is the difference in a pillar and a horse or a car or a wagon? Pillars don't move. Pillars are stable. They're put there to have stability and never to move. And that's here clearly in this sentence in verse 12. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. Never again will he he leave it. This is saying something similar uh, to what we closed out with a few weeks ago at the end of the church of Sardis, and that is the security of the believer. Once a person is truly saved, that person can never be lost. That's a very important truth, and it keeps people from living in fear. Once you know that you have been converted to Christ, you can be assured that no matter what happens, Christ will never let go of you. You're preserved and kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed at the return of Christ, says Peter. But I want us to focus here now on the new Jerusalem. Notice he says, I will write on him the name of the, of, of the, the new Jerusalem, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. So let's look. You notice there Revelation 22, 4. Let's turn over there for a moment. Revelation chapter 22, page 1938. Page 1938, uh, uh, 22, 4. And he says there... Uh, They will see his face. His name will be on their foreheads. So what we're told here is unlike the beast, whose mark every human being who has ever lived will have, except those who are God's elect. Because God's elect have a different name. And the name of, on God's elect is God's own name. We belong to him. It's like a branding iron. Symbolically, when you are baptized with water, God puts his name on you. Symbolically, when you are baptized, God puts his name on you. You belong to him. It's interesting, you know, we can see a lot of things uh, today that we couldn't see years ago. 
If you ever like to watch crime dramas, and I like to watch crime dramas, and how they discover things, they'll put on special glasses and shine like an ultraviolet light, and they see bloodstains. Well, here's what I want to tell you. If you have been baptized, you may or not have been really baptized, but if you've been baptized with water and you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, then the water of baptism can be seen by God and angels as indicating that you have been born again. Let me say it carefully. Being baptized with water alone doesn't make you a Christian. But being baptized with water and coming to a point in your life where you repent of your sins, turn your life over to Jesus, cast yourself on his mercy in Jesus, what happens? At that point, the waters of baptism become visible to anyone who has eyes to see, kind of like the blood in a crime drama. So in other words, a believer, a true Christian, has God's mark there. Other people may not see it in you, but if you've been born again, if you've put your trust in Christ, you have God's name on you. Now let's look here at, at, the, at the city of God because you have the name of that city on you as well. I remember in the summer of 1966, I was invited to sing in the Ulster Hall in Belfast, Northern Ireland. And uh, as part of the thing, I was on the platform uh, waiting to sing, and they had everyone stand up and sing, uh, God Save the Queen. What did I do? I sang God Save the Queen. Was it an act of disloyalty? No. I'm going to tell you why. My citizenship ultimately is in heaven and the earthly allegiances that I have are passing with time. So when I was in Great Britain in Northern Ireland in the summer of 1966 working and invited to sing in the Ulster Hall at this big rally, I stood and sang out of respect uh, for Queen Elizabeth who I think probably is a real Christian unlike her descendants. But anyhow, God save the queen. We sing, it, we sing that same tune, but I sang it. But my real loyalty is to Jesus Christ, to the city of my God. I remember the first time I took an oath of office, uh, promising loyalty to the United States and to the Constitution. I said to the person who administered that oath, I take this oath as a Christian. My ultimate loyalty is to Jesus Christ. Now, whether you say that or not, when you promise to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, whether you say it out loud or not, you must always say it that way. Because our ultimate loyalty is to the Lord Jesus Christ. And our ultimate citizenship is the city of our God, the New Jerusalem. That is, is the city to which we have ultimate loyalty. And no other country, no other state, no other political entity has our, a demand for our ultimate loyalty. But... Christ 
and his city. So we, we see here the city of God. I think it's interesting to me if we look at Revelation chapter uh, 21, page 1937, and verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, I, I want to share a story with you. And that is, uh, in October of 1987... Uh, I read these words to my father in the hospital, these two chapters out of the book of Revelation. The last words I ever heard my father speak were, I see it, I see it. Of course, he didn't say it like that. He said it very feebly because after that, slowly over the next hour and a half or two, uh, he died. I was with him when he died. But the last words my father ever spoke were, I see it, I see it. Conversely, one time Sandy and I were praying for a man who was in a hospital bed. He was a very wicked and evil man, but he had never really come to Christ. Do you know that on your deathbed you can come to Christ? Do you know on your deathbed you can be saved? No matter what you've done, no matter how evil you've been, if you cast yourself on God's mercy in Christ on your deathbed, you will be saved. But this man was a rebel against God. He was a hypocrite. And so on his deathbed, I saw him go to hell. If ever I saw someone go to hell, it was that man. Suddenly he opened his eyes and they had abject terror in his eyes. He was extremely weak, extremely feeble as he lay there dying of cancer. And I saw him try to reach with his hands to climb out of that hospital bed. And then he died. Heaven and hell. There are only two destinies, heaven or hell. And so we find here in the book of Revelation... This beautiful chapter that was a great comfort to my dad, though my dad was a mean drunk, but he was converted when the First Presbyterian Church of Myrtle Beach had a revival service, and they invited a Presbyterian preacher from South Florida to come and preach. That particular preacher was a man named Dan Iverson who wrote the chorus, Spirit of the Living God, Fall Afresh on Me. Dan Iverson was used of God to bring my mean alcoholic father to Christ because my father was so bad before I was conscious of, of things that my mother, who didn't believe in divorce, would get down on her knees and pray this prayer. Lord, change him or kill him. And she meant it, and God changed him. And my dad was a good father. So I read these verses to my father out of Revelation 21 and 22. And notice here in verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. We need to remember in Hebrews chapter 12, a passage we looked at many times last year, that our citizenship is in the new Jerusalem. That is the place of our loyalty right now. When we worship on earth, we're joined with an innumerable company of angels and the general assembly and church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. In our spirits, we transcend this physical world 
and join with the saints above in worshiping God in the new Jerusalem. But the new Jerusalem is going to come down. What is it like? Well, let's look here and see what we see. And uh, we find here, look at verse 9. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the last seven plagues came and said to me. Now this is a very important statement in verse 9. You see, the book of Revelation is not one long chronological unfolding, but it is a series of visions. It's kind of like a series of dreams. And each dream is unique. Each dream picks up on things in the past, but they don't necessarily chronologically follow. Because when you get to verse 9 of Revelation 21, the seven plagues full of, uh, seven bowls full of the last seven plagues have already been poured out. This is just his way of remembering. This is a new vision for John given to him by Christ. And so, One of these seven angels says to him, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Verse 10, And he carried me away in the sight, in the spirit, to a mountain great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem. What does the bride of Christ look like? She's a city. That's what we need to remember. The new Jerusalem is the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ is the city. You see, he says, I'm going to show you the wife, the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And what did he show him? He showed him the city. Now, what does that city look like? Let's go down to the bottom to verse 15. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. Look at verse 16. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. It's a cube. What in the Bible was a cube? Scratch your head for a moment. Go back to places like Exodus and you remember the design of the tabernacle. The tabernacle, the most important part of the tabernacle, the Kadosh HaKodeshim, the Holy of Holies, was a square. It was a perfect, um, a cube. It was square and it was equal in height, in length, and width. It was a cube. Now, the holy city, the heavenly Jerusalem, the counterpart to the earthly tabernacle and the counterpart to the earthly temple is a perfect cube. But how big is it? It's 12,000 stadia in length in width and height. Now, look at the word stadia if you have those pew Bibles and you look down at the bottom and it says 16, that is about 14,000 miles, about 2,200 kilometers. Now, 1,400 miles is roughly the distance between here, and I've never been there, and I really don't have any interest in going other than they probably have a lot of great food, cheap. is from Texarkana to Las Vegas, roughly 1,400 miles. And that's how long the city is. So imagine, if you will, with me, a city that reaches from Texarkana, Texas, to Las Vegas, Nevada. Pretty long distance. Now imagine that as a square. So you go up north. I didn't bother checking for what would be north of here that far. 
and you've got this perfect square. And then it's how tall is it? It's 1,400 miles. Do you know how high up the International Space Station is? It's, it's roughly uh, 300 miles up, less than that. So we're here in the middle of the first Van Allen belt. Those, those two belts help to protect us from things. But the atmosphere is, we're far beyond the atmosphere of Earth. So what I want you to see is, in this vision that he's given of the bride of Christ, it's you and I who are being seen here in the future, what you're going to look like. This is what you're going to look like in the future. The heavenly Jerusalem is going to come down on earth and it is going to be so big, this giant cube will be longer than the distance from Texarkana to Las Vegas squared and then it'll be that high in the atmosphere. You got a picture of that in your mind? How anybody can read this and think that it is literal, that is exactly this way, is beyond my comprehension. It's very obvious that the book of Revelation is meant to be taken in terms of symbols. Numbers have significance. The number three stands for God, the blessed and holy trinity. One God and three persons. The number four, the four points of a compass. The number six is the number of man, because humans were created on the sixth day. The number seven is a number of perfection and rest, because God rested on the seventh day. The number eight is one beyond the number seven, and it stands for God's ultimate perfection. In a sense, the church doesn't worship on the Sabbath. We worship on the eighth day, the day of Christ, the Lord's day, the day after the Sabbath. So we see these numbers. The number 12, there were 12 sons of Israel. There were 12 original disciples. So you begin to think of the numbers. And so you get 10 times 10 times 10 is, is a picture of the Holy of Holies, God's absolute perfection. And the new Jerusalem currently lives in the, up there somewhere. And yet, by the Holy Spirit, you and I are already seated in heavenly places in Christ. And this is what we need to understand. When we read the book of Revelation, we need to read it with an understanding of what the Bible says everywhere else. Because if we don't know the Bible, we will misunderstand it. Can you picture again the scene that's before you? It's a vision. It's like dreams. It's like dreams that we have. Sometimes a dream has meaning and significance. And we pray and ask God, Lord, are you trying to say something to me that I couldn't put together during my waking hours because I'm just too busy? Just too busy? Just too busy? Well, biblical visions are like that. And we need to try to ask God, Lord, what are you really saying here? So picture the globe, our earth, which is sort of like an egg, I understand. I haven't been out looking at it from space. I uh, don't really care to. But one day, I'm going to fly away, and I'll get to see it. And I'll see whether it looks like a kind of an egg, or whether it looks more like just a globe. But if we could look at the Earth, and visualize the Earth floating in space, 
And then visualize this giant cube resting on the earth, starting in Texarkana and ending in Las Vegas. Can you get that picture in your mind? And it's way beyond our atmosphere. It's an outer space. Wow. Was this meant to be understood in a literal way? Or was it meant to be understood in a symbolic way? I believe, having studied the book for years, I believe that we should take the book of Revelation literally, except where it is obviously symbolic. Literally, except where it's obviously symbolic. And here it is obviously symbolic. It is a picture of the Holy of Holies, the Kadosh HaKodeshim in Hebrew. The Holy of Holies. You and I, in Christ, have come through the veil of His flesh, through His pierced side and His shed blood, and we have now come into the Holy of Holies. Dear ones, when we worship here on earth... In our spirits, we are seated with Christ in those heavenly places. We are already citizens of the New Jerusalem. The name of the city of our God is embossed on our foreheads. That's where our citizenship is. You know, I'm reading all of the bizarre news in the world today about needing to show proof the city of New Orleans. I'm supposed to be at a meeting down there Tuesday. I think I'm going to do virtually because of the weird things that are going on in, in Louisiana, having to produce proof of being vaccinated, having to produce proof that you don't have the coronavirus, all these things. Well, let me tell you, I've got a passport. And my passport isn't issued by the United States of America. My passport is issued by the Lord Jesus Christ, who has written my name on a pillar in the temple of my God. And he has declared that I am a citizen of the heavenly Jerusalem. And when the heavenly Jerusalem finally comes to earth, as it will, when literal lions will lie down with literal lambs, I don't know how it's all going to fit together, but it ain't going to be with Newtonian physics. I can guarantee you that. I don't know what that says about Schroeder's cat, but anyhow... It's not going to be in Newtonian physics. This is an impossibility in Newtonian physics. But in the unseen world, the world that you and I cannot see with the natural eye, but only with the eye of faith, we already are citizens of that heavenly Jerusalem. And one day, that city is going to be on earth, a cube roughly 1,400 miles high, roughly 1,400 miles wide, and roughly 1,400 miles long. And you and I will never, ever be cast out of it. Oh, dear ones, I want you to know this. This world is not my home. I'm a pilgrim here. I'm passing through. I don't know. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know how long it's going to be before Christ returns. I know before He returns, His Word will triumph throughout the world. But God is the one who says what that means, how vast that triumph is. I know that before He returns, there will be a revelation of the man of sin. 
It's hard for me to believe as I look at world rulers that the man of sin is on the stage of world history because they all look like lunatics to me. <laughs> I think the Antichrist will be a whole lot smarter than the kinds of people that are leading the world today. But who knows? It's the power of deception, not of natural power. And, before, and, and Christ will return when we don't expect him. But you know, no matter what happens, I've got my passport. My passport is stamped. It's embossed. It's sealed by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that is my citizenship. And instead of my going up there, I'm counting on it coming down here. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would comfort us with the sense that we are pillars in that great temple, which is that great city, which is the church of the living God that is in heaven, Lord, and that one day, Lord, we pray it be soon, that great city will come to earth. Lord, may we all revel in our citizenship. May we all have that attachment to that heavenly Jerusalem. And may we hold the things of this life, this world loosely, whether it's husbands or wives or children or grandchildren, parents, wealth, or our citizenship in this county or this state or in this country. Because crowns and thrones may perish, kingdoms rise and wane, but the church of Jesus constant will remain because the true church, which only you can see, is in heaven and it will come to earth. Lord, haste the day, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen.